You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, you're listening to Sustainably Geeky, episode 60. Today, I am excited to be joined by Lauren Groper, who is the founder and CEO of Repurpose. And they have been at the forefront of creating green alternatives to disposable plastics since 2010. Last year, Lauren was recognized as one of 100 Women of Influence by Entrepreneur Magazine, and her company offers a wide range of compostable tableware and household products sold in 15,000 stores across the U.S. that are revolutionizing the disposable home goods industry. So, Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, sounds like you've been pretty busy over the last few years, so can you start by kind of sharing your sustainability journey and talking about repurpose? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jennifer. Um, so my sustainability journey actually started many moons ago when um, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and I was always just kind of a, a very um, sustainably geeky person <laughs> from Yay. the high school days. Um, I knew I wanted to have a career um, in something that had to do with uh, positive impact on the environment. I wanted to be part of the solution. I saw the problems that were, were happening around us and just wanted to have a, a career with impact. So I actually started my sustainability journey um, in the green building space. So I went to school for sustainable design and architecture and I worked in green building in New York. And then I had a random opportunity to come to Los Angeles to do green building work on the West Coast and actually to consult with um, film sets on TV film sets and um, TV and film sets, sorry, to make them more sustainable. So to design them green, essentially. Um, and one of the areas that we would look at um, on set was waste reduction. And sets are pretty notorious for, you know, you're on location or you're on a set and things move quickly and you don't really have time to, you know, do dishes, etc. So there's a lot of disposable products and most of them are plastic. So we would build these green sets and then fill them with plastic. And it felt like there was an issue with doing that. I think um, when looking at kind of how you could reduce the waste, it was difficult. It was a difficult challenge on set because it had to be something disposable. So that got, uh, that, that area uh, I became very interested in because to me, it was very much a sustainable design problem that plastic disposable goods are designed completely backwards. What, what is currently being used aside from our products and others is we basically utilize a finite resource, which is we dig petroleum out of the ground. And that is what the building blocks of plastic are. And then we that material is actually very durable and it's designed as a material to last a really long time but then we use it for five minutes and throw it into a landfill where it lasts forever. So it's a completely backwards um, way of designing a product. And I think what I had learned in school was sort of to design for circularity or to think about what would happen at the end of its life. Could it be reused or could it be degraded? And so I think what became very interesting to me was this idea of using plants or plant-based sources to make plastics or to make disposable products that could then be degraded at the end of its life so that where it would biodegrade or compost. In our industry, we use the word compostable, which means it will degrade within a certain amount of time under certain conditions. So 
that's essentially a very long version of how <laughs> of how repurpose started. It was looking at this design problem on film and TV sets, and then getting really excited about this new technology that uh, existed over ten years ago um, that could really change the way we we kind of looked at disposable plastics and could create a zero waste solution. And I was really excited about creating a brand around that. So creating a brand that people could get excited about, that they could bring in their homes and replace any kind of plastic stuff that they were using at home with something much better. Wow, I love that you saw firsthand a problem and you worked to find the solution. And um, here you are, you know, more than 10 years later, still kind of innovating and, and learning um, new ways to, you know, reduce plastic. So, um, well, thank you for sharing your story. And, um, you know, I, I've always been amazed, like you said, that we have all of these things that we create to use for just a few minutes and then they're in the, the, the environment forever. I mean, plastic forks, bags, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's pervasive. It's in every industry and it's just really, it, I mean, there's many sort of uh, roots of the problem, but I think now that we have the technology to fix it and that we have everyday solutions, I, I hope and I do believe that we're going to be moving and shifting completely away from the old way of doing things into this amazing new way where we, we literally will be able to get rid of the waste problem. Yeah, and I love that you pointed out the fact that I, and something that people often overlook is that plastic is made from petroleum, which is yeah. technically a limited resource. So I always think about even if, um, you know, we didn't have to worry about carbon and, and chemicals in the air, what about the fact that we are going to run out of this someday? Why aren't we innovating just for that fact? So let's exactly. <laughs> let's figure exactly. out a way not to be using the, the precious, you know, plastic <laughs> that we have for silly things like to go containers and, and straws and let's actually use them, save them for the medical devices or, or whatever we do need them for long-term and then shift to other things. Um, so yeah, I know you said that, you know, one of your main goals at Repurpose is to offer non-plastic single-use alternatives. Can you talk a little bit about why plastic is such a concern, um, both for the environment and for, you know, human and non-human health? Yes. Um it's it's a massive concern which for many reasons um like you mentioned the health concerns and and sort of the waste concerns because it's made from petroleum and it lasts forever it pollutes our oceans it pollutes our wildlife and it and it's toxic so all these things combined uh i think are reason enough to say hey should we find something alternative i think a lot of people um don't realize or they believe that, oh, if I'm using plastic, it's okay because I'm going to recycle it. In fact, I think that is a myth that needs to be dispelled. Recycling plastic really doesn't exist. Recycling paper exists. <laughs> Recycling metals exists, and aluminum. Those are, those are recycled materials and glass to some degree, but plastic does not get recycled. Um, what used to happen in the U.S. is we used to ship our plastic to China where it was recycled somewhat so for example a plastic bottle does not become a plastic bottle again a plastic bottle is recycled into some kind of rope or a material to be used in some other plastic application but it's very difficult with with plastic to recycle it and make the same quality of product over and over again it, it gets downgraded so 
it used to go to China. Um, China, I believe in 2019, it was either 2018 or 2019, decided they didn't want to take it anymore. So now there's very little places for the plastic to go. We still send it to parts of Asia, uh, but oftentimes it's burned. It's burned or it's in a landfill. So it just, like every takeout container you use, there are some plastics that are recycled, but you know, over 90% of them are not. So yeah, all those takeout containers, any, you know, the plastic fork, et cetera, those are going to landfill or burned. So we need an alternative. And right now there still is no perfect solution. Um, repurposed products we make from plants and they're meant to be composted, but some of them can't be composted at home. Some of them can. Um, and so there still is a challenge with, well, where's it going? What we like to really focus on is the fact that even if you can't get it into a landfill, it still is the piece that you brought up, made from plants versus petroleum and non-toxic. So for those that are concerned about health, the health of their family, the health in their home, plastics are not good for your health at all. They're, they're endocrine disruptors, meaning they're hormonal disruptors. I think the proliferation and all these um, hormonal complications and fertility complications, et cetera, I do believe stem from the pervasive use of plastic and the chemicals in plastic and the chemicals that are leached when you microwave plastic or it sits in the sun in a plastic bottle or what have you. Um, and so to be able to find an alternative that does not have those toxins is to me as equally as important as the waste issue. So we are trying to attack both with our products, um, both the waste problem and the health toxin problem. And it's, it's, there's a lot of education to, to get out there. So thank you for having me on the podcast, but to, to let people know about what, what these toxins are, what the health impacts are, and the fact that plastic does not get recycled. If people really knew that, I believe they would make the switch immediately. Yeah, I always kind of cringe when I hear people say, but I'm going to recycle it because um, really the most effective way to, you know, help the planet is to reduce or not use it at all. So the three, there's three R's, right? Everybody always just jumps, skips the first two and goes to recycle, but it's reduce, reuse, and then recycle is less. So um, yeah, I think that's an important point that you brought up that recycling plastic isn't really the solution, even if it was being done effectively, which it's really not, because um, we're still using, we're still drilling the oil and, and you know, creating the chemicals to make these plastics in the first place, which um, we'll talk a little later about, you know, the communities maybe that are affected by the creation of these things as well. But um, yeah, and, and for those interested in learning more about the plastic problem, um, we've done a, at least one show a year the last few years about plastic. So you can look at our past shows and kind of hear from different people that are working on this issue as well. But um, I, I think it's such an important issue that we constantly want to have, you know, people on, um, to talk about it and also talk about the new innovations that are happening in that field, um, like with folks at Repurpose. So, um, yeah, so lots of lots of issues with plastic. Um, let's talk about how your products differ from plastic products. So um, a lot of your products, like you said, are made from plants. Um, how are they safer than plastic? And can you maybe just talk through like the process of how how they're made? Yeah, so we have a number of different products that we make everything from bamboo, toilet paper and paper towel to marine degradable straws, to cups, to plates, to cutlery, to trash bags. So each 
each product actually has a different type of plant that is made that is used to make it and a different manufacturing process. So I think one of the main ones that I think is quite interesting is our plates and bowls. Instead of using virgin trees, which many of our competitors use, they cut down trees to make a plate, which to me is that you throw away, which again, big no-no. <laughs> um, we use a waste material. So we actually use the waste of the sugarcane industry. So typically um, in the sugarcane industry, they use the juice of the cane to make sugar. And then the cane or the stalk is burned. Um, we actually use that stock that would otherwise be thrown away, use that cane, and that's ground up to make the basis of our, um, our plates and our bowls, which the technical term for it is molded fiber. So it's kind of like a paper mache and then it's molded, the, these fibers are molded to make a plate or a bowl. So it's upcycled sugar cane that is then used to make a plate that is then composted and can be used to grow more plants. So it's a zero waste solution because Ideally, it's, it is composted and then becomes a plant again. There are no toxins in our product. Um, many of our competitors that make plates or bowls or takeout containers or what have you um, are using a toxic chemical called PFAS, PFAS, um, which you may have heard of. They use it as a grease and water barrier on the coating of their takeout container. We do not use any of these. Um, and I think that's important to note just we're very concerned, as I said in the beginning, about not only what our products are made from, but what is in them from a from a chemical point of view. So even if we're not talking about plastic, we're just talking about a paper good, people also think, oh, it's a paper cup, it's a paper plate, it's great, it's environmental. It's actually not. Um, so sorry and to be like downer here. <laughs> those chemicals make those products non-recyclable as well right like once yeah, coated. And, uh, <laughs> yeah you cannot actually be certified compostable if you um, have those chemicals in your products um so that's actually been a great um move on the part of the of the certification body they basically said even a couple of years ago we're not going to take any products that contain these chemicals because we don't want it going in the soil and then getting into the groundwater um, because they're very harmful so that's a great thing. Um, some of our other products, um, for example, the cutlery um, and our cups, some of our cups, those are the two that actually um, need to be industrially composted. Um, they use basically the, um, they're using corn or any kind of starch. We use sometimes cassava, beet pulp residue. These are, it's we're not actually using that material, but it's really the, the chemistry behind those. So the chemistry and the starch that is used is pulled, essentially. Um, it's lactic acid that's then converted into what the building blocks of plastic are. It mimics that, but it's plants. So it's a very interesting kind of science experiment. But then you have a product that looks and feels like plastic. So this, for example, is one of our cups. It looks exactly like plastic, but this is made from um, the chemistry from corn and cassava and then it's 100% compostable. So it's very cool technology, um, but those have to be industrially composted. The bulk of the, our other products um, can be in a home composter, which is very cool. So you can put them in your home. And now there's actually some even newer um, partnerships we have with companies that are making appliances that you can have at home and just put it at home in the appliance. You don't, you don't even need a big backyard compost.
So there's tons of innovation happening on that side on the end of life, as well as on kind of how the products are made and what they're made from. So there'll, there'll be so much more happening in the next five years. A lot I've, of exciting developments. I've heard of these um, like countertop composters essentially, and I've been curious, do they, so they actually do work as fast as they say and as effectively as they say? Because I, I haven't yes. looked into them myself, but that's interesting. Yeah. I'd love to plug our friends at Lomi who make a, they do one of the desktop composters and they reduce the waste by about 80, 85%, I believe. So you're left with just feels like dirt essentially that you can then you reduce the weight of your trash. So another issue too is when you're throwing away, this is a separate issue than what we're dealing with, but when you throw away food waste, it's really heavy and it goes into a landfill, let's say if it's not composted and then it starts to um, degrade and it gives off methane, which is a very significant contributor to the greenhouse gas emissions. So you're actually contributing to global warming more significantly by putting your food waste in the garbage instead of one of these desktop composters or a backyard composter, what have you. So they're doing great work by having the solution to kind of how do we deal with end of life of waste. Yeah, that's really cool because um, I know a lot of people who uh, want to do better, do more, you know, for the planet, but they they don't have the ability to compost, or they they live in an apartment, yeah. or there's not a you know a curbside service. So having that um, available is really a great option. And um, you you mentioned that some of your items can be composted in a home system, and some have to be industrially composted. Can you just explain real quick, like what the difference is? I guess you know. Yeah between those two systems? Sure, so an industrial compost is one where it's a city, um, basically a municipal compost where the city is picking up what you put in a green bin, taking it to a, a very large scale compost. And the difference is in an industrial or a municipal compost, there are really high levels of heat, humidity and oxygen. And so it can break down the product much faster. Where you have a product that is, is thicker or as crystallized like our cutlery where you needed to you know cut a steak or whatever or if you're hopefully vegetarian a piece of tofu um you it it, it will take more than what the the levels of sort of heat humidity and oxygen you can get in a home compost to actually break it down in a timely manner so eventually will but an industrial compost you can guarantee it'll be three to six months maximum so that's pretty wonderful. And it's usually three months. So that's what the industrial compost does. And because, you know, you need the product to stand up and to be thick enough to be able to use it, you need that higher level of heat and humidity to break it down. However, there are, what we're working towards is to advances in the technology so that they can be, you know, composted much more quickly in a home environment, but still stand up and that may be tough and durable when you need to use them. So for example, um, like our trash bags, they compost in a home environment, in an industrial environment, plates, home environment, in an industrial environment, some of our cups, home and industrial, but it just depends on the on the product and sort of how thick it is, really how much resin is in there. Um, we'll determine whether it can be done at home in a backyard environment or if it needs a stronger, sort of much more powerful compost environment. 
Yeah, and I um, I know there's a lot of products out there, whether it's, you know, plates, cups, um, flatware, or phone cases, or, you know, all sorts of things coming yeah. out now that say they're compostable. But, um, yeah, that's a good reminder for folks to just check the the packaging oh. or, you know, the website for those products to make sure you're, you're disposing of them correctly, because if you do put them in the wrong place, I mean, it'll sit in your yard for a while, I guess, if, if it's not compostable in your backyard. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll figure out, I guess, that that's not the right place for it. Um, but yeah, um, that's good to know. So if you've ever seen that on a package, that's that's kind of um, why it's important to make sure it goes to the right facility. Um, okay, so we've touched on PFAS a little bit, but um, I kind of want to go back to that because I know you guys repurpose do a lot of work in that space and eliminating those from your products. Um, and these are also known as forever chemicals, and we've been hearing a lot more about them in the news lately. Um, specifically, you know, there's a big train derailment up in um, Palestine, Ohio, recently that folks may have heard about. Um, by the time this show comes out, um, hopefully, you know, there will be more information about that. But essentially, you know, a lot of chemicals leaked out of this this train that um, were are used for, for plastics and other purposes. But, you know, they are considered hazardous chemicals. They're, they're leaching into the water system. They're killing animals. And um, this happens, you know, not just with these derailments, but in the areas where these, these chemicals are made or, or even leaching out of the products they're made from. So, can you talk a little bit about what these um, forever chemicals are and, and why they're dangerous? You've already, I know, touched on this a little bit. Yeah, so these forever chemicals were initially created um, by DuPont for, or in the creation of Teflon. I don't know if you remember that name, Teflon, but it's it's a nonstick pan. So what they do, these chemicals do, is they give sort of a grease and water resistance to anything that they're applied to. Um, so you know, cookware was a huge one, but they are in, um, you know, rain gear to repel the water in tons of outdoor clothing. Um, they're in carpeting um, all over the place just to repel, again, grease, moisture, um, fast food wrappers, all that sort of like, you know, when you feel the kind of grease lining, it's in that, all of that. Um, it's in... Uh, plates, takeout containers, bowls, not our products, but others, um, again, to repel any grease from going down or seeping through. So it was a very useful uh, chemical, but um, clearly a very toxic one. And um, we have, have not, when we, I actually found out that these products were in our, or these chemicals were in our products several years ago and immediately removed them. Um, just because obviously don't want to be contributing to any health problems and didn't realize they were in our products. And when we found out, knew we had to remove them. But um, many of, of the everyday products that I mentioned still contain these chemicals and they are known carcinogens. So they, they do cause cancer. They cause hormone disruption um, and any kind of issues associated with hormone disruption, fertility issues. Um, so there are just a number of very negative consequences from the exposure. And um, the issue is they're called forever chemicals because they don't, they don't disintegrate. They don't go away. Um, they're in our drinking water. They're in our bloodstream. They're in, you know, the, the, I, I, there was some study, I believe, that tested um, 
it was either mother's milk or something to do with babies and it was in an overwhelming number of, of um, breast milk and it's it's everywhere and it's just so pervasive it's everywhere so it's one that's very hard to get rid of and it's very hazardous to our health and so there are uh, a number of states that are coming out with um, laws to ban this chemical, this group of chemicals, um, and several have enacted that as of 2023, and there are many more, um, but federally it has not been banned yet. I believe it will be, um, but it has not been yet. My understanding is um, that the EPA is looking at some regulations as well on a national level, and hopefully you know, that gains some traction, especially in light of recent things. Um, I was, I was just shocked to think about when I started learning about these chemicals, like all of the waterproof things or, you know, scratch proof things I've bought over the years. And, you know, like you said, from raincoats to pans and everything, it's, it's kind of, yeah, overwhelming. Yeah. (laughs) It's like we can't get away, but hopefully now with education um, and pressure from consumers and, you know, constituents, we will start to see some movement on removing these things. Um, You know, like we knew or maybe for a long time, we didn't know lead was bad for us. And then when we figured it out, we had to take it out of the paint. So let's start doing that with something similar like this. Exactly. I just found it. It was in sparkling water. Oh, like seltzer too. Oh, no. No, nothing's safe. Not all of them. (laughs) Well, so what can people do to avoid these um, PFAS? I mean, other than never touching anything again or eating anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's hard. I think uh, look for labels that say PFAS free, especially in things like cookware, because you're going to be using that in your home every day. So that's something to really look out for. And um, oftentimes it will say it on the label or you can research the company and see if they actually have removed it. Same thing on, you know, disposable products, um, plates and bowls and takeout containers. You know, it usually says it right on the label. We do it right on the label on repurposed products. Um, and if it comes to clothing, etc., they will usually say again on the label that it has been removed. And many, many companies are removing it on their own accord. Um, but it still is, it just, it takes because there's no, you know, federal regulation now. It really depends where you live. Um, but I just like to use good old Google to, to figure out if it's in my favorite products. And if it is, then I make a switch. <laughs> yeah, and I saw recently that REI um, has banned products with PFAS in them as of like, you know, 2024 or something. So we're seeing big retailers start to, yep. you know, mandate yep. these things, which will hopefully put pressure on the, the suppliers. Yep. Um, are there other names or terms that people should look for when they're, you know, if it doesn't say PFAS, I know there's yeah. like BPA free or this or that, but is there, are there any other terms that they might be putting out there as well? Yeah, there, you could also, it's, it's written as PFOA. So PFAS, PFOA, both of those are worth uh, sort of avoiding. Um, BPA is a separate one, but um, was one that got a lot of traction because it was in, um, water bottles and cans and tin cans and things like that and it has been removed mostly and been legislated against um but i do believe like you said what's really great is that a lot of these big retailers including walmart costco target etc they are mandating that uh, suppliers remove it as well so we're going to see it phase out but the problem is it's 
it's in the water, it's in the soil, it's in, it's in everything. And so it's, uh, it is, it's a difficult one to completely eradicate. Is there a way to remove them? Like you can remove chemical, other chemicals or, you know, sediments. I mean, is, is there, I'm assuming it's going to be very expensive, but. I believe, yes, there are, I understand there are, I don't know that, I don't know the technique of, of how or how long it takes or how expensive it is, but I would imagine it's a very long process, very expensive. Um, and, and it's so it's, it's in everything and everywhere. So I don't know how you, it's not like, Oh, this is a, an asbestos site and we're going to, you know, remediate mm-hmm. the site. It's, it's everywhere. So I, I don't know how you even begin the process. That's a great okay. question. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, lots to think about. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, so are there alternatives that to PFAS that are less harmful, but maybe just as effective at, you know, the things they were made for? Yeah. So for example, we're using an alternative to uh, PFAS now in our plates and bowls and it's bio-based. Um, so totally non-toxic and it also repels grease and moisture. So there are alternatives. Um, there are companies making these specific alternatives and it's widely available now. So hopefully everybody moves in that direction. Yeah. Why aren't they? If they're, <laughs> if they're so... uh, price. right now price, it's a little more expensive. Okay. It's yeah. always the money. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's very encouraging to hear that there is progress being made. Um, what other advances are you seeing in the plastic um, or PFAS alternative industry wide? Yeah, I think what's really cool is, um, for example, something that we just switched to using, which is uh, there's all kinds of new resins. So I use the word resin because those that's sort of what makes up the building blocks to how you make these the products that we make. Um, and so you can make our products from a bunch of different things, a bunch of different plants, as I mentioned before. But now there's even more sustainable options. They're not yet at scale, but using seaweed, for example, algae, um, carbon, um, you can use all these other waste streams to, to be able to create um, these new products. And some now are marine degradable, so they're no threat to marine they're mammals, marine animals. Um, they're completely marine safe. Our straws are now ocean safe because we're using these advanced resins. So I think to me, that's really cool to be able to see that there's new resins that are more sustainable, more degradable, um, made from very renewable resources. Um, I think it's important to look at not only what happens and how fast they can degrade, but how are they grown? How are these plants made? Because some plants, you know, a tree is a plant, but you don't want to be cutting down trees. So Hence, you know, for example, our toilet paper, instead of playing, cutting down trees for toilet paper, um, we use bamboo and bamboo just grows like a weed. So, you know, it's a renewable resource, as they say. So that is a much more sustainable way to make toilet paper than to cut down trees. Yeah, that's a great point because um, actually our last uh, last month's guests or two months ago now when this comes out, uh, we talked about deforestation and the problem with, um, you know, he, trees being thought of as a renewable resource. And while trees may be able to grow back quickly, forests are not. And that's really the important part is the forest is um, hugely yeah, important for the, the ecosystem and, and all sorts of uh, services it provides for both humans and non-humans. So um, 
yeah, thinking about what other plants can we use that may grow more quickly and be less water intensive, less land intensive, et cetera. So um, yeah, this, these are great things for people to kind of consider when they're looking at making purchases or just consuming products because a lot of, there's a lot of greenwashing out there when it comes to, <laughs> it's, it's green. Yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. it's biodegradable. So, um, well, is there anything we haven't touched on uh, with relation to, you know, either PFAS, plastics or, or repurpose that you want to throw in there? I mean, I think that the main theme is really just that using plants instead of petroleum is hugely beneficial uh, no matter where it ends up. Obviously, we want it to be composted, and that's the goal for zero waste. But I think people are often sort of hesitant to, to switch because they think, oh, well, oh, it's going to a landfill. I can't compost it, so I'm just going to use the plastic. I think, number one, you know, there's the health issue of plastic and petroleum versus a plant-based product. But when you use a plant-based product, you actually use 65% less CO2 to make it and 70% less water. So it's much more sustainable, even if both of them end up in a landfill, which hopefully they don't. But um, I think it's important to know that because there's a lot of apathy when it's like, well, I can't really compost it anyway, so I don't care. Well, you're still doing your part in a huge way by choosing something plant-based. Yeah, that's a great point uh, because I, I hear that from people all the time. What's what's the point? It doesn't get recycled. But yeah, yeah. we have to think about not just the end life, but where it came from and how it was produced. So exactly. even if you can't do anything about one's part of it, and if nothing else, there's always your health. <laughs> which oh. is pretty important. <laughs> we care about that too. Right. Well, what's um? Is is there anything uh, new for um, your company that you want to? plug or anything up and coming or is is it all still kind of in the works that there's one in the works that i can't announce yet um but there's always new stuff coming i think we're looking at a bunch of new resins which is really cool our straws that just came out are um ocean safe which we love um and especially for i think this is coming out in in spring these cups are awesome for um spring weddings summer weddings so these stemless wine cups we love. Okay. Oh, I did have a, one question for you. Um, I think sometimes when people get these plant-based um, items, they don't always realize that they are compostable. So maybe they put them in the recycling. Um, what happens when you know when that happens? Do, do they get recycled, or does it ruin the recycling stream? Or <laughs> they don't. It, they don't get recycled. Much like if it were a plastic product, they get put into. A landfill unfortunately so okay. try not to put them in the recycling gotcha okay but, you know let's reduce first even mm -hmm. we you know of course i want people to use our products but first and foremost reduce mm -hmm. you know don't use anything if you can avoid it but if you're having a big party or you're you know mm -hmm. you use it or you're in you're on the go um then obviously we want you to choose <laughs> <laughs> yeah reusable should always be your first choice but when it's not yeah. doable yeah, I, I hear you. Um, oh, well, okay. So do you have any resources you would share with our listeners that want to learn more about anything we've talked about today? Yeah, I think there's a number of, um, I don't know if people like documentaries. I always like documentaries because I find them kind of easy to digest, entertaining, besides obviously all the various websites that have great information. I do think um, one that actually has great information, a website on the PFAS issue is the Center for Environmental Health. 
CEH.org. Um, they're really great in terms of the PFAS issue. On plastics, um, for documentaries, I love Plastic Ocean, um, Seaspiracy, uh, and then just sort of more general environmental information that I like um, in terms of documentaries. Story of Stuff is really good. It just kind of like highlights where everything comes from, how it's made, and it really made me think about kind of the way things are made and how to think about what I buy and what I what I won't buy. Um, and then Kiss the Ground as well, which is uh, a great kind of uh, exploration into sort of what's happening in agriculture and regenerative agriculture. And it's very interesting in terms of decarbonization, how we look at the importance of a regen regeneration. So that that's a great one. Um, but yeah, I think thankfully there's so much more education out there right now on all of these topics. Yeah, for sure. Well, we will link to all of these resources in our show notes if you're interested in looking any of them up. Um, and I guess now we'll move on to our green life hack part of the show where we share a couple of actionable items that people can do to live more sustainably. Um, so Lauren, would you like to start off with our green life hack? Sure. Um, so this one is kind of, I, I think it is a hack because it's really easy to do. Um, which is meatless Monday. So I'm not a vegetarian, but um, I wish I could be. Uh, and being a vegetarian is probably the best thing you can do for the environment. Um, why all the water, um, greenhouse gas emissions that you save um, basically from not eating meat because the production of meat just is so energy intensive, uh, is so, um, uses so much water for growing the crops to feed the animals. Um, there is so much methane gas released from these animals. I mean, you could really, I wish I had the stats right in front of me, but it definitely is a, a big contributor. So if you can do one day a week, at least no meat, you're, you're doing your part. Yeah, that's a great Average. one. Sorry. Go ahead. Easy hack. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, asking people to go cold turkey, no pun intended, <laughs> is um, is difficult, but reducing, like we said, is doable for everyone. Absolutely. And we were, you know, I was actually just at a, um, like a pre-diabetes education class with my dad recently, and they were, they give out, you know, the proportions of everything that people should be eating on a daily basis. So your grains, your veggies, meats, dairy, and the amount of recommended servings of meat per day is much smaller than you know, oh, one sure. serving yeah. for one meal that people usually eat. I mean, I want to say they recommended two to three ounces, not even every day a week. So it's a very small portion, but it also goes to show that like, we don't need that much meat in our diet. And really don't. yeah, you think about like 50, a hundred years ago, they were eating meat sparsely. It was like a treat. It wasn't an everyday thing. And now we feel like we have to have it on, at every meal, but um, at yeah, every really meal. Don't. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. So I love that one. And I've um, definitely been trying to eat less meat overall, although I am also not a vegetarian. I am, um, you know, leaning that way. So, um, yeah. So my uh, my green life hack in the vein of um, just reducing um, consumption overall is as people are spring cleaning, if you are this year um, or any time of year, um, try to you know think about sustainable ways to get rid of the things that you're maybe getting rid of or 
acquiring as well if you if you have to get new things to organize or whatever um and by that i mean maybe you know donate to thrift shops ethically don't you know give things that aren't <laughs> worthy of use um so donate to them or give them away on the buy nothing groups online or you know maybe find someone in need um and then if you do have to you know get more stuff um just try to you know buy used or buy secondhand from from someone else and, and I, I've been challenging myself just to buy less new things overall, whether that's clothing or furniture. Obviously I still have to buy food and certain things, perishables from the store. But um but yeah, I think that's that's a good that's thing awesome. to to remind people of is their spring cleaning. So um well Lauren, thank you again so much for being on the show. Uh can you tell folks where they can find you and or repurpose online? Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. Online, we are at uh, www.repurpose.com and Instagram at repurpose, TikTok at hello repurpose. Awesome. And you can find me here on the show. Um, I am also on our parent show occasionally, Epically Geeky, and sometimes the book club, Marginally Geeky. Um, and then uh, the show, is, or you can find me on social media as well at Instagram and Twitter if you're so inclined. Um, the show itself is on all social media as well as um, YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. So check us out on your favorite streaming service. Like us, share us, give us a five-star review or whatever they let you do. Um, and we appreciate your listening. If you have any ideas for future topics, feel free to send those our way. Lauren, thanks again. And to everyone listening, have a great, yeah, have a great rest of your day. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 